One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, this is Nadine Deets, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Today, I have Barbara Martin Coppola with me, who is the former CMO of Grubhub and just joined IKEA as their new chief digital officer. Hi, Barbara, and welcome to the show. Hello, Nadine. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am excited that you are here, too. Let's jump right in and talk about your recent move and decision to join IKEA. Sure. Well, you know, I grew up with IKEA, and I have like this emotional bond with the brand. So I think it's one of the coolest brands in the world. And I I love their mission of really helping many, many people in the world to have a better life. And so loving the brand, there was this exciting position of uh, helping them with everything digital from uh, product engineering and, and business. And I thought it would be a very cool challenge to help them be at the height of what they can be and, and continue doing a lot of good for many people. Very cool. And so you were a chief marketing officer and now a chief digital officer. Can you describe the difference between those two roles? Absolutely. I think the CDO position is a new position in a lot of different industries. And it is defined depending on the company and and the industry it operates in. For IKEA, it really is uh, helping the digital transformation to succeed and actually think about not only the product, but the offering to the user, as well as the, the business thinking and the processes that are important to succeed in the, in the digital age. So it's, I would say, a bigger role than uh, the CMO position that, that I had at, at Grubhub, where I was really responsible for the user adoption of the product and growing revenue through digital, you know, acquisition of new diners. Your background um, is really interesting because you've always been focused on innovation uh, and digital. Do you think your background from Google uh, really helped to lay the groundwork for this new role or sort of your path along the way? Absolutely. Um, Well, I've been in tech for like almost 20 years And uh, if I come back to my university studies, um, I studied engineering and I've always had a passion for um, everything that is technology and the place it has in people's lives. Um, So I've dedicated my career to technology in various forms, you know, from business development, marketing, 
I've been in close, close contact with everything product. I do know what a, what a good design and a good product is from a, a digital perspective. And so I'm, I'm excited actually to gather all my experiences and, and hopefully help IKEA with, with the next wave. The other thing on my background that I think helped me a lot is I, I majored in piano actually while I was studying engineering. And wow. um, my mother, uh, being a teacher, she was always, um, you know, focusing on, on people, humanity, the different stories. And I think it's, it's the other side of business is um, this part of expression, creativity, humanity, and, and how to treat people well so that they want to work for you to achieve, achieve greatness. So yeah, that, that double sort of like logical engineering side with the other side of, of music development, humanity, creativity overall, I think it has been a good combination for me in, in the marketing area. And I hope it will be in my, in my new city overall. No, I'm sure it will be. I remember us having a number of conversations when you were at Grubhub uh, around culture and how to really foster a culture of innovation, but also a culture of care. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how you approach that at Grubhub? Because I think you had a really good uh, and unique approach to that. Yeah. So I took a lot of the learnings uh, from Google on everything culture, actually. And um, in thinking that in the technology world and in the digital way of, of managing cycles, which is extremely fast, um, people need to come to work empowered to make a difference. So what I mean by that is um, the, the cycles of innovation are so fast that there's no way we can control every single test and every single thing that the team does. And so we need to trust them with experiments. We need to trust them with decisions that they would take along the way. Um, and in order to do that successfully, I think uh, culture is extremely important. It's, it's a way of making people feel that they can make a difference and that if they fail, it's not going to be a disaster for their career. And also come to work happy with the level of risk that they're taking every day. Um, so a lot of uh, thinking about how to have a, an environment and, and all of this are invisible values and, and are, you know, things that people feel that would actually make them uh, the best of themselves at work. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think it's like one of the most important things that we can do as leaders to actually have business results and have an awesome environment to come to work um, in every day. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know that in your expectations on time allocation, I think you shared with me once that you had a... A 70-30 rule? Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Um, we like to think about, you know, 70% is spent on things that we know work and uh, we would optimize them and we would do tests in order to make them better, more productive for, um, for the company. And then 30% is really ideas that we've never tried before. Uh, so the team will be creating things um, that we've never tried and they will be launching them in the market and getting the feedback from users with all the data that we have. And I think it's extremely motivating for people in the team to be able to 
just launch and try new things. And, um, and if they work, those things actually become part of the 70%. So they become strategies for growth for the future of the company um, that, you know, were a test and a good idea that somebody had in the team. And then it becomes actually some of the most successful strategies that we have. And, and how, with all these amazing ideas that I'm sure are being generated with this flexibility, how do you go about picking the ones to pursue? Like, are there certain criteria you look for? Yes. So we have um, definitely the vision and the brand guidelines that um, everybody in the team knows um, and, and can actually articulate pretty well. There's also the numerical goals on what we want to achieve. So any idea that ladders up to the goals and will contribute to the goals that we have are welcomed. And the ideas need to respect the brand. Was there a way you thought about organizing your team and or attracting new talent to your team to continue to fuel the innovation? Yes, I've seen actually an evolution of uh, marketing teams, you know, especially in tech over uh, the last few years. So one new team that we formed at uh, GripHub was a data science team for uh, the engagement or CRM team. So this is engineers uh, that are coming to code algorithms in order to do personalization at scale. So what I mean by that is be able to communicate at the right time with the right content to the right person and do this in an individual way for the user base that the company has. And so data science has been an incredible, uh, tremendous path forward, I would say, for marketeers because through machine learning, they can actually get higher return on the investments and on the communication that the company has. So that has been really, really interesting, actually, uh, from my perspective. There's also been um, what we call product marketing. And, um, and this is another role that is fuzzy, and the definition really depends on the environment of the company. But those people will be working very, very closely with product to make sure that there is one experience for the user instead of like a marketing experience in outside channels and a product experience that will be sort of disjointed with the first one. And so having um, those product marketing people work with product in a team to, for instance, grow um, the numbers for the company has been a very successful strategy uh, for GrabHub and and before for Google. Okay. So this is really interesting. Um, You're, reminding me of a conversation that I had with Kathleen Schwab from the IDC. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, in the process of releasing a report on the role of the CXO compared to the CMO. It was interesting because there are a lot of different perspectives on where customer experience sits in an organization. And the way you were describing the product marketing team reminded me a lot of the responsibilities of customer experience as a whole. So where would you say customer experience fits? And especially now with your new role, um, as it relates to being a chief digital officer? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And I think um, it really varies depending on the company, but I've seen more and more of the lines being blurred um, in terms of marketing and product uh, responsibility, as well as design. 
And so I've seen more and more teams that are composed by those three functions. So design, product, um, and, and marketing or business, and together actually figuring out what is the best experience. Um, when I've been in, in meetings with people that are cross-functionally oriented, there's a lot of really good ideas that come. And having di- different perspectives on the table actually helps innovation be even stronger. Um, so I know that uh, Facebook works this way and, and at Grubhub, it has been um, a big step forward actually in order to get different perspectives and, and have a list of things that we want to try and always with the customer in mind and trying to have like the best experience possible. Very cool. So let's switch gears for a second. And I know you and I have had some really interesting conversations about your path and the things that really inspired you along the way, uh, including some mentors that you've had. Uh, I'd love to just revisit them here because you shared a story with me once and I I think I've told like 18 people about it because it's just such a cool (laughs) story. Um, And it was about your mentor when you were working with Samsung in Asia. Can you share that story? Yes. um, I was based in South Korea, in Seoul, and I was working for Samsung Electronics in their uh, global marketing operations department. And I was working for an exceptional woman uh, called Hyun Lee, the first woman VP ever for Samsung Electronics. And I was very lucky because uh, she was my manager. And um, what she told me, I think I'm, I would forever be thankful um, on, on what she told me because it was a lot about the invisible things that matter so much. So the invisible things uh, were important because it would help me actually influence people that uh, were not in my line of management. It will help me also understand what was happening, um, you know, from a hierarchy perspective, from a feelings perspective, the dynamics within a group by just observing actually what was happening with with their bodies and, and their attitudes. And so she um, just helped me understand all these invisible dynamics and interpret them, um, which was extremely, extremely powerful, actually, down the line for me, um, to always just see the body languages um, of people around the room, understand how a a small movement in the face would actually uh, be mentally that somebody was not at ease or that somebody was admiring somebody else. Um, and, and actually be able to see those dynamics uh, was very, very important to me um, throughout my career, I would say. And not only throughout my career, also in my, in my personal life. And so with that, it just helps you as a leader to know how to talk to this person um, in a particular way to actually get the outcome you want. It, it also helps you fit in much better. And it helped us understand what was important for the culture and trying to fit in in the Korean culture the best we could do. That's such a a great story. And it just reminds us all about the power of body language. Um, And it's funny, this happened to me when I was talking with Deborah Wall and her podcast. There just came a moment when I'm like, oh, that's going to be the title of your podcast. I think the title of your podcast is going to be Invisible Dynamics because I just think that sounds cool. I love the title. <laughs> All right. Well, well I'm, we may stick with that. Okay. So 
you're a pretty amazing role model yourself. And I know that you've spent a lot of time working with uh, your teams. You know, what would you suggest to people who are looking for mentors or role models? Um, Just reach out and ask, look for people Mm -hmm. in other industries. You know, what would be your recommendations? Yeah. Um, First, let me say that, you know, role models and and, uh, mentorship overall is incredibly important in any organization or outside of life. Um, And I think it has helped me a lot uh, throughout my career to um, see things that I didn't see before and sort of understand things that, you know, mentors will help me understand. So it's super, super critical. So I think um, the relationships get established by themselves. Um, So not being afraid of reaching out to somebody you admire and starting a relationship with that person. Um, I think it's awkward to say, hey, do you want to be my mentor? Uh, I think the mentorship sort of uh, gets established naturally and uh, it becomes like this two-way conversation that is enriching for both of you. Um, I've seen um, mentorship not being called mentorship, uh, just, um, you know, with, with Hyun Lee, how she took actually this, uh, this role that was very important to me. But it was actually years later that I fully valued everything that she did for me. So when I was in the midst of Korea, um, I was having those exchanges and learning, but I wasn't thinking, okay, she's my mentor at this point. And then when I, when I actually moved back to Europe and I was in Paris uh, working for Google, I actually started identifying all the lessons and, and all the great things that she had taught me without telling me that she was teaching me. And, and so I kind of appreciated it even more because uh, it was almost like a life lesson that I could fully, fully grasp the importance of it later uh, in life. Um, she even gave me like um, one of the, uh, the things that she told me was like how to get a good husband, uh, which <laughs> I will never forget because, you know, we were talking about very, very powerful, very busy man. And she mentioned at some point, well, those don't make good husbands, she said. And she <laughs> said, you know, think twice, um, you know, what is a good husband and what is that you need from a partner? And uh, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I thought a lot, um, you know, when, when I, was, I was single at the time and, and then I got married. Um, and, and it is something that I would encourage every woman uh, to think about because, having a partner that supports you and helps you in life has been half of the success that I've had in my professional career. Um, and so my husband, I'm, I'm so thankful that he's, um, he's the way he is. And, and that also comes from, you know, somehow the advice that Hyun Lee gave me at the time that made me think a lot, what is important for me and my partner in life? Okay. This podcast could take a dramatic turn at this point and go... <laughs> Uh, And in fact, I don't even know which way to go at the moment. Um, That is really sound advice. And um, wow. Okay. um, I'm going to hold myself back here. (laughs) So I released uh, Mary Beach's podcast and uh, she was so funny talking about her and her husband don't share responsibilities, but they delegate them. Do you have any tips on, you know, how you make it work? you have such a demanding job and it sounds like you have a very supportive husband. Um, do you have any tips for anybody out there? 
Yes. I have two kids and, um, you know, and I want to be a mother and I want to be a professional. And that is very, very important to my happiness. And so um, I do make time. So this is my, my personal rhythm. So I go to work every day. My days are pretty crazy because I want to make the most out of the time that I have with uh, my people and, and the different teams at the company. But then at 5 p.m., I leave the company and I go home. And that's a pretty strict rule that I've been following since I'm a mother. Uh, I go home and I do not touch electronics for a good three hours, three hours and a half, uh, which is time for my family, for my kids. Um, and then, you know, when they go to bed and, and they're asleep, I normally reconnect and sort of like check my emails and see if I have to do something. Sometimes I work for a long time. Sometimes I work for a very short time. So it really depends on the day. And it has helped me have sanity, actually, for all these years um, in demanding jobs in a fast-moving industry. Um, and then the other thing is there are some things that I just do not do at home. So, um, you know, I, I hate cleaning, and that's my, my own thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever the situation, we've been uh, paying somebody to do that for us. And so it, it kind of frees up time for, for me to do the things that are more important to me. And, um, and it's worked. So, yeah, now I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old. And um, I think they're, they're pretty balanced, happy kids, which is like my ultimate success in life. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's, this is cool. You know, I remember I went to a leadership retreat once, and they were talking about how to empower yourself. And, and one of the things that was a tip was exactly what you just said. Take things off your plate that are really sucking away your productivity so that you can free up the time, that valuable time, and spend it with your loved ones, whatever that may be, whether that's your, your children, your husband, your dog, uh, cat, because it's really an important health check. And so I'm glad to hear you say that being able to do that has kept you sane. Yeah, there's, uh, there's another aspect to this, um, which is at work. Um, I know my limitations, so I know what I'm good at and what I'm less good at. And so for the things that I'm less good at and that I frankly don't have any pleasure doing, um, I try to hire people that compliment me. And that would be actually, you know, together we're stronger and we can perform better for the company. So that has been another thing for me of um, trying to hire people that are, you know, different from me and that can actually take on things that I will be a little bit less strong at. Um, I can manage the whole thing, but it's, uh, it's something that, you know, kind of makes me happier as well as work. So somehow concentrating on the things that are important to me and that I love doing. So let's talk about what you love doing. What is your favorite part about your day or your role or any role that you take on? So one part that I love is actually giving energy to my people so that they uh, want to try harder and want to 
make a difference. So that human interaction with my team is like number one of my favorite things that, that I do. can take many different forms. It can be an all hands with marketing. It can be, you know, a setting up a team with, with some people and sort of like always having positive outlook for things and giving energy to people. Another thing that I love is uh, sitting and creating reviews and the creative team will come and present things um, that they've created and actually having a positive conversation about whether this is going along the brand that we're trying to create or um, it's actually diverging and, and might not fit into the story that, that we're telling, right? So that's another one of my, I love, you know, with my cup of coffee and just looking at what people are presenting. I love that. I love also um, hardcore data, you know, meetings that would be going through, you know, what the CRM team is putting together in terms of the, the latest um, A-B tests that they're putting in, in, you know, looking at the data and the conclusions and, and how logical the whole thing is. Um, so there's, there's just different parts of things that, that I like doing. The last thing is strategy. You know, everything that is kind of like imagine the future and how we can logically arrange things so that we empower people to make a difference. That's something that I take pleasure, pleasure on doing. Um, by myself and with people so so that we all own the strategy that we're going to be implementing so that that's that's super cool because i i know you teach marketing strategy at kellogg's how, yeah. how does one teach that how does one teach marketing strategy it's a very good question <laughs> you you want to uh get them to think uh, critically about a situation. And so there's a lot of case studies that are involved uh, where people will be embedded in a business and they are facing a situation and they have to make strategic choices to actually help the company. And then they are presented with what actually happened with the company. So I know I'm, I'm teaching a GrabHub case with the situation that I faced when I joined as a CMO in May 2015. And then we have good discussions around um, how to formulate a strategy, the pros, the cons, and how non-linear and how non-black and white it is. And so it's really interesting to actually, you know, challenge the students with, with critical thinking and, and really see like all the angles and and what is the effect on people in the company? And what is the effect on their return on investment? And, and what are you doing to profit? What are you doing to revenue? And so it's, it's in the form of discussion and the role of the teachers really to lead the class towards the conclusions that you want them or the learnings that you want them to take. And it's like super fun and super motivating. And, and these kids are smart. And I absolutely love every single class that I've been participating in. Okay, so this explains to me something that I've been thinking about since you first mentioned it maybe three years ago, two years ago, I don't even know. But your favorite interview question for candidates. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, Nadine, I always ask them how they would market a fork in China. So do elaborate, please. <laughs> Okay, this question uh, came from the CMO of YouTube, and I thought it was the coolest question ever. And I've been uh, actually reusing it in, in some cases when I interview people. 
So why do I ask something that is completely irrelevant? It's because I want to see how they think right there on the spot on something that they have not prepared and that appeals to their common sense and their instinct as marketeers. And so, you know, China, um, they don't need to know much about China, except that chopsticks are the preferred material for them to eat. And so it's, it's really a matter of seeing like how people react on the spot can they, um, you know, get in front of this challenge and not be so fearful and so blocked that they won't be creative and they won't have common sense to answer? And so at the end, when you think about it, those are things that you will need in the job where you need to test new things and create new ideas every day. And so if you are fearful because you don't know how to solve a situation or you're facing something for the first time, and you will be blocked at this, then, um, you know, the, the companies that I've worked for will not be the right environment for those people. Um, so I'm looking for, for people that are athletes that will try to solve any situation and that will give their best and not lose their cool in, uh, you know, the, the challenging question that I'm asking them to solve. So cool. Well, now I've kind of given away your secret question. I, um, I guess you... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, you'll have to tell me what the replacement question is, and I won't share it. I promise. <laughs> oh my gosh, Barbara. Well, it, we are almost out of time, and um, I've really enjoyed our session today. I have one last question for you. If you were not a CMO or a CDO, what would you be? It's a good question. You know, I imagine myself as a sort of motivational guru of some sort. Um, I've been doing that in, you know, the, the companies and, and the teams where, where I've worked for. Um, I do this in the classroom. So not just marketing strategy, but like how to manage your own life and how to, you know, go for it and, and be successful and happy. And so that's one part that I would just um, think myself doing, you know, in, in a more sort of professional setting, because I, I love the, the reward of helping somebody through inspiration and, and an energy overall. And then um, when I think of, of different people that I, I admire, um, there's one person that comes uh, to mind, um, and, and that is Michelle Obama. And mm-hmm. how she is now actually helping students um, have better lives, and through, you know, the the Chicago University program that they just announced, uh, how she's been a role model and inspiration, and be authentic and be herself in the midst of a very visible position. And so overall, I think you know she exemplifies what I would love to do. Um, you know, for people somehow helping them believe uh, that this is a good place, that this world is positive and that you can make a difference. And, uh, and then, you know, give people hope uh, to succeed in, in their lives. So, yeah, I don't know if I will do it, but I'm, uh, you know, I, I know I love doing this thing. So maybe, you know, later in life, uh, after Ikea, why not? Well, why not? I think you're doing that already every day. So, um, and I'm sure after this podcast, you might be getting a few phone calls. So, uh, (laughs) 
the world needs more people like yourself and Michelle Obama for sure. <laughs> thank you, Nadine. No, thank you, Barbara. I wish you a pleasant day and I cannot wait to see what you are going to do next with IKEA. So congratulations on your new role. Thank you very much. I'll do my best. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 